Hey, everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Widener Show, powered by SoundWeb Studios. Visit online at SoundWebStudios.com for all your needs and brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molsonzia Missing, available on Amazon.com slash Mia Molsonzia. We're here with Amazing Lay, who earned a bachelor's and master's of music from Juilliard School and also has performed as a classical violinist in top venues around the world, like the Carnegie Hall, Boston Symphony, Ravinia, Verbier, and also La Jolla Summerfest and Aspen Music. And she's also a concertmaster of the uh, Deutsche Symphony uh, Orchestra, the Juilliard, McGill Chamber, and Pacific Music. Also toured with uh, Sir James Galway, Chris Body, and also featured violinist at the Kennedy Center, Jack Singer Concert Hall in Calgary, and the Blue Note in New York City. And she has a brand new book, uh, which basically just breaks classical music down to where everybody can just, you know, bite signs, consume. It's kind of classical music for dummies, but she takes it to a very refreshing level. It's basically an, a, a retake, an intimidating world of classical music blown through the laws of elitism, exclusivism, and encourages everyone to love or hate music. And to hear her talk about it, the book, Declassified, a low-key guide to the high-strung world of classical music, live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Plus Studios in beautiful downtown Boston, the amazing multi-talented violinist, and author of the book, Declassified, Ariana Warsaw Van Rock, or we'll just call her Ariana. If everybody gets the full name right, I'm sure she'll give away something. I'm kidding. Ariana, <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on board, too. And um, you've got a great book out there, Declassified, a low-key gu guide to the high-strung world of classical music. You earned your bachelor's and master's in music from Juilliard School of Music. You performed as a classical violinist in major venues around the world like the Carnegie, Ravinia, Verbier, La Jolla, Summerfest, and Aspen Music, as well as Boston Symphony, Concertmaster at Deutsch uh, Symphony Orchestra, the Juilliard, and also McGill Chamber, Pacific Music, and also I uh, toured with Sarah James Galway, Chris Body, and uh, feature violinist, Kennedy Center, Jack Singer Concert Hall, and the Blue Note, and um, you basically just have a new book you decide to write it down, and um, it's just a simply refreshing retake on the intimidating world of um, classical music blowing through the walls of um, the elitism, exclusions, and everything else, and simply, it's just for some people, you think is classical book, book for dummies, but you take it to the next level, but make it more friendly. The book, Declassified, a low-key guide to the high-strung world of classical music. And before getting all that, Ariana, first of all, tell us how you got started. As a violinist or as a writer? Yes, go way back, way <laughs> back, way, way, back. way, way back. Um, so so it, a lot of this is in the book because um, it, it follows a narrative arc. So each chapter explores a different uh subject relating to classical music and then it's framed by anecdotes from my life and those follow a roughly chronological order um so some of these stories are in there but I yeah I started playing the violin when I was two and a half wow yeah um and I became serious about it when I was seven <laughs> uh this was that's when I decided to become a violinist and it was just something that I never really questioned once I made that decision um, and it took me all the way through Juilliard and yeah, I, you mentioned some, some of the things that I've done. And, uh, at a certain point I started to question whether or not performing was really the, the, the right path for me, the right way to serve the God of music as one of my manager friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for me, it, it, you know, at least right now in my life, I, I felt like writing this book was actually maybe a, a healthier and better more fun for me way of, of going about it so that is sort of the very short version of how it got here. 
You mentioned about, uh, you know, you know, taking up a uh, violin at seven, being really serious at starting at two and a half. What was that one precise moment in your life that simply said to you, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my career. That one precise moment, especially when you're at seven or mm -hmm. somewhere around then says, this is what I'm going to do. So um, when I was seven, I went to a concert with my dad and my violin teacher at the time. And it was a student who was playing his graduating concerto with the orchestra at Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. And um, he he was just so amazing. And I, I sat there and I was completely mesmerized. And it was really the first time, you know, I I played violin for a few years before, but this was the first time when I felt transported by a performance, when I really felt like like there was a spell that had been put over me. And I, that was, that was when I knew I, I just felt um, instantly, like I had to do this with my life. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly like it as well too. Really love what you're doing. And uh, who are some of your fa favorite violinists and uh, musicians and, um, and classical figures growing up? Oh, um, I loved all of the old great violin masters. So you have Heifetz, you have um, Milstein, Nathan Milstein um, there. Oh, David Oistrock. These were all violinists who, who were really close to me. And of course, on Sophie Mutter, because she wears these gorgeous strapless dresses. <laughs> I mean, she, that's not why. It's probably why when I was a kid, I liked her. Now I can appreciate that she's phenomenal as a violinist too. But um, yeah, she appealed to me for a number of reasons. And I, I mean, there are so many fantastic conductors, but Bernard Haitink is one I think is amazing. And Dudamel, of course. Mm -hmm. and, and then how about some of your favorite uh, composers um, growing up? Oh, yeah. Um, so I I mean, all the greats. So Bach, Brahms, Brahms was one of my absolute favorites, sort of between the ages of seven and nine. Mendelssohn, the performance that I mentioned that I heard when I was seven, that was the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto that was being played. And that that piece became my favorite piece for years. Um, so Mendelssohn basically everything Mendelssohn wrote is is still up there for me uh but I also I mean Schumann uh Mozart Beethoven of course I think right now Beethoven is is my I can't I can't even say that I can't say favorite but Beethoven <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven speaks to me a lot these days so <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and we'll and we'll break down some of the composers as well too we'll also break down some of the um seven main compositional periods offering insight and some of the uh, instruments and also y'all breaking in the personalities as well too just a total breakdown in classical music in the bite side pieces with um ariana warsaw band rock but first to listen to the mike widener show at the mike widener show.com powered by sonic web studios Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition web. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention to Mike Widener, show get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, International Warring author Mia Molsonzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molsonzia has garnered great reviews. In Eve 11 and George Bot, Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Minnie Ellis. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon.
Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com. Another 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, Nightheart Radio, also Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music, and Nora. Also heard on HamiltonRadio.net every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central at HamiltonRadio.net. And coming to a few podcast platforms and few networks coming soon. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Wagner Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Wagner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash me and Muslim Zia for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash me and Muslim Zia. Check it out today. I'll support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the themikewidenershow.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with the author of the book, Declassify, the low-key to the high-strung world of classical music, Ariana Warsaw fan rock here on the Mike Wagner show. And um, Ariana, before we talk about your book, um, you, you have accomplished um, a really long list of uh, accomplishments in the King's Scroll. And that's in your book as well, too. Let's uh, cover a bit. You performed Carnegie Hall, Boston Symphony, the Ravinia, La Jolla Summerfest, Aspen Music. You've been a concert master at the Deutsche Symphony Orchestra, the Juilliard, McGill, and Pacific Music. And you also toured with Sir James Galway, Chris Body, and more as well, too. And, um, you know, maybe tell us about some of your um, experiences. Like, what, what, what was, like, the best concert you've done and maybe, like, your favorite concert hall, the best experience you've had? Uh, I mean, it's really hard to pick because, you know, there are so many different ways of measuring the best concerts, right? I, I think um, the most fun I've had probably it would have been a, quite small concerts. I really like house concerts. So any of the concerts I've given at people's houses or in small salons where you can interact with the audience, that would have been the most fun for me. Oh, nice. Yeah, I just find it, I, I think a lot of the music that was composed um, by these great composers wasn't really meant to be performed in, in big halls. So um, uh, chamber music, there's a reason it's called chamber music, you know? Mm-hmm be in a chamber and um for me there's a level of interaction there that's really fun but certainly some of the most memorable concerts were with Chris Bodie who's um this amazing Grammy winning trumpet player and uh with him the shows were just I mean the level of of touring the, the travel everything was just so first class and uh the halls were amazing there was this one absolutely insane show that we did where um I, I suddenly found myself backstage with Aretha Franklin and Helen Mirren. Wow. And Herbie Hancock was there. I was, but I was actually like, you know, a foot away from Helen Mirren and Aretha Franklin. <laughs> and on that same night, um, when I went on stage, we did one, one of our songs was a version of Nessun Dorma, which is an aria by Puccini. And uh, Madeline Albright played drum set for that. It was really so Madeline so Albright. Weird. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I think yeah. I've seen just about everything. Madeline Albright. Wow. <laughs> yeah. On the drums. It was very it was a very weird experience. It, it felt very surreal. Uh, but I certainly I certainly think about that night a lot. Mm -hmm. And what would you say your your most favorite concert venue uh, you've ever been at? Um, I, I guess I really, I really like the Kennedy Center. I think that it's just such a great complex. You have all the great halls there. Um, 
but it's, it's very hard to, you know, there have been a lot of great spaces and it's very hard to measure or Suntory hall in, in Japan. That's Oh, nice. I've heard about that. Yeah. The acoustics are amazing. Mm -hmm. You make me think of that one place in the Sydney as well, too, which is I have all these neat triangles that just hung over oh, there the too. opera house. Yes. So I've never played there and I've never actually even been to Australia, but that is on my list because I would love to go there. Oh, that'd be so nice. I think that's on my bucket list as well, too. That's yeah. if the pandemic God so lets us through and everything. Yeah. So <laughs> And, and of course, let's get you a book about uh, Declassified, a low-key guide to the high strung world of classical music. You just start off basically that you emphasize that most people love classical music and most people hate classical music. Depends on uh, what specific piece of music that they're listening to. So, you know, really interesting take on that is like, you know, it can be used for just about everything and anything. You can, you hear it on, um, you know, backgrounds on movies, games, and um you know, also hear like, um, you know, piping over the speakers and a lot of the music that's influenced um, by all the greats as well, too. It's like love it or hate it that, um, you know, you know, just take a perspective on it and uh, just um, a simple insight to the industry as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things one of my goals with this book is just to to give to no one needs my permission for anything, but uh, <laughs> I feel like with classical music, there's this sense with a lot of people that they have to sort of commit to listening to all of it and to liking all of it in order to get started. So you have people going around saying, I love classical music. I say that all the time, by the way. And you have people saying, I hate classical music. But the point is, this is hundreds and hundreds of years of different kinds of music. You can't possibly feel one thing about all of it, right? It's like, I mean, if you imagine, you know, someone, the early rock and roll, and then if you, if you compare it to I don't know, one direction, like who you don't necessarily have to like all of that, but that's what people do with classical music. They, they bundle it all into one genre and they forget that, that so much time, so many styles elapsed between, between these composers. So um, Bach sounds really different than Brahms and it sounds to totally different than Shostakovich. And uh, yeah, so I want to sort of explain break down the genre into these styles but also tell people it's okay if you if you don't respond to one style you should keep trying and maybe try some of the other styles because there's some really great music in here and I'm sure that um I really you know it's corny to say but I'm sure there's something in it for everyone mm -hmm. and of course I hear people all the time especially from the from from the heavy metal genre as well too. M many of ours are being uh, influenced by Mozart as well too. If Mozart were, were alive today, he would outsell Metallica, Led Zeppelin, and um, Nirvana, and you know just about um, every, every metal artist all across the board. Mm. Yeah, I think that actually it's very cool how much influence there is uh, now, and and people are are sampling a lot of this music too. You know, you think about, um, for instance, the the Chef's Table intro is this Max Richter Vivaldi, I think it's called Recomposed. And it's based on the Vivaldi Four Seasons, the, the winter. And it's just very, it's a very cool piece. It's, it sounds quite similar at the beginning, but it goes further and further away. And it, I think it does really cool things. And now with social media, with Spotify, Apple Music, there's so much access that there wasn't before to classical music. And I just think it's nice to give people a, a jumping off point or a point of entry for, for their curiosity as it mm -hmm. He also covered the seven main uh, compositional periods too and uh, tell us about that. And there was even one of them went through a very dark period. 
Yeah. So I go after the medieval period a lot because I hate, I hate medieval music. <laughs> Off with just, their heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, it's so dark and it's so depressing. And, and when I hear it, I instantly feel so sad and miserable, but um, I know there are a lot of people who like it and that's also perfectly fine with me. The point with all of this is really just to highlight the differences between the styles you know so the medieval period this is like the 1100s and um sounds completely different than yeah then you have the renaissance period came next the baroque period that's when you had people like bach then next was the classical period this is when you have mozart and haydn and um you get to the romantic period next which is brahms tchaikovsky it, it's a little bit more lush the sounds you know uh bigger orchestras more instruments uh more expressivity and then it gets into the 20th century and this is where <laughs> 20th century music i mean it can sound like anything some of it sounds like medieval music some of it sounds like romantic music some of it sounds electronic or you know or or, or a mix of pretty much everything Exactly. And, and actually, as we get into the contemporary period, there are more and more composers doing really interesting things, blending the different styles. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's how, an how, how would you, how would you describe uh, today's uh, classical music going into uh, 2022 and 23? How would you describe it? Well, again, I mean, it's just very hard to put your finger on one, one kind of sound. It's, it's, it tends to be a really cool mixing pot of you know melting pot, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Of all of the all of the different styles from from the genre and new styles and new sounds as well. So it's very. I've heard some really cool pieces um, that just combine everything. Mm -hmm. And and of course too, you, you, of course you talk about the Spotify list where people come up with a list of um, all the favorite music and everything. There's also a must list. Um, you know, you know that's required too so it's like what's like a must list um that you have um when, when it comes to uh, music as well too what is a must list when it comes to like you know having like a short list of um you know what to listen to and everything what is like the must list for you that's like the ultimate requirement okay so i in the book i have must listen for each period and for each compositional medium so like the must listen operas the must listen symphonies uh because i also want people to hear the difference between yeah i mean some people might respond really well to opera some people might not like that the voices sound so different than speaking voices um so but for overall this is impossible but uh, if i had to say right now based purely on my mood and i would change it in five minutes because you can't possibly, you know, you can't choose one piece. But right now, this second, what springs to mind is Shostakovich String Quartet number eight. This, I think, especially for people who feel like they might not like the classical music that they've heard in commercials or in the background at weddings, this is a totally different kind of classical music and it's incredibly powerful. Mm, and certainly is too. And they're also using in movies as well too, like from Raging Bull, Shawshank Redemption, Silence of the Lambs and everything else. And I also think of some others too, but those ones just pretty much stand out as well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a list of needle drops from great movies uh, or great movies that use this great music really effectively. And so, so for me, my favorite one is probably in Shawshank Redemption. There's this um, Mozart aria from the, the Marriage of Figaro that is put to use just stunningly when um, 
I think Tim Robbins, he plays it over the prison speaker. Mm, and so yes, all, the, all yes. the inmates are in, and it's just gorgeous how it's juxtaposed against the, you know, the starkness of the prison and you have the, everyone looking up and listening. It's just gorgeous. Mm, that certainly is interesting. And I just thought of a couple of movies as well too. I think there was one piece in a uh, clockwork orange um, that I remember, mm. remember listening to, I can't think of the piece, but that was like where he went on a killing spree. And I think there was also a couple that I, I'm sure it's going to come to mind later on as well, too. But um, maybe some of the craziest uh, superstitions in the classical canons, <laughs> like Beethoven's hair and the curse of the Ninth Symphony. And, um, you know, all these curses that just take place, superstitions and um, what you do, what you don't do and everything else. It's like, you know, you know, Beethoven and um, oh, my gosh, it's like, you know, you had some are just like creative geniuses and some are just, you know, out there, basically. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah there's I mean again this is so much history is involved in classical music or you don't need it to listen to it but I think it's an interesting side of it and there are so many great stories that um that we've preserved through these composers who were yeah as you say often geniuses and there are legends like um Paganini who was this incredible violinist and violist and he wrote a set of just impossible caprices for the violin among other things he there was this legend that he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for his violin technique and that would explain why his music is so hard for everyone else to play <laughs> oh because he put that curse and declaration he was like the first to do so and we thought charlie daniels did that supposedly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And there are other, I mean, so many great stories there. There is this love triangle or thruple. It's a very confusing situation with um, Robert Schumann and Johannes Brahms and Clara Schumann there. It's sort of within the industry. It's a really famous uh, kind of mystery just based on the letters that were written between the three of them. And um, it's something that maybe outside of the industry isn't as well known, but it's really fascinating to just read and to try to decipher what the nature of their relationships were. Uh, and you have Beethoven's Immortal Beloved. So Beethoven wrote, he wrote a set of letters to someone, we, we still don't know who she was. We just, he calls her his Immortal Beloved. And it's, um, it, it's quoted a lot, this ever- uh, how does it go? It's a, ever mine, ever yours, ever yours, ever mine, ever ours. Yeah, Just, something like that. Yeah. And um, I have to reread that part of my book. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is ever thine that's in there. Right. Mm. So anyway, he is very expressive and incredibly they're They're just like out of a romance novel. And it's just crazy because you you get this sense that this was this one one of a kind love that he shared with this woman and and yet no one knows who she is or if he even sent the letters and there are no other letters surrounding these um to suggest that they had a relationship beyond whatever these three were and they were written you know on three consecutive days so it's just a very confusing puzzle for historians and it's also exciting to think about this you know Beethoven was kind of cranky and uh, it's interesting to think of him having and, this. And of course, Mozart having a dirty mind, Tchaikovsky having several affairs. And, um, and, and of course, I remember watching Amadeus. He always laughed. Oh, 
oh, like that. Like, <laughs> that kind of suggested it too. And, um, you know, some of the stories as well too. And of course, some of the common stereotypes in the industry, you know, you know, people, you know, when you, you mentioned classical music, they associate, you know, elitist, snobbish, arrogant, you know, or it's like you're, you're in the upper rich, the uber rich, you're a freaking billionaire. But in reality, it's like that, you know, every, everybody can listen to classical music and maybe you can just, you know, break down some of the stereotypes and it's not necessarily for the, um, top 1% in the world. No, no. And, and in fact, you know, the composers who, so this is also um, a whole chapter on the, in the book is dedicated to this, but the composers um, were often employed by the uber rich, um, but they themselves were not, were not rich mostly. And they often hated their patrons. So there are all kinds of funny letters that Mozart wrote, that Bach wrote, um, complaining about their employers. And it's, it, I think the association between snobbery and classical music was born out of necessity. It's not because the music is snobby. It's not because the composers were snobby. It's just that someone needed to pay them. So that's how it, that's how it started. And uh, it's unfortunate that this is the, the image that it has today because so much of this music speaks to oppression and um, actually the exact opposite, you know, struggles. Think of Beethoven. He, you know, he, he was, deaf by the time he wrote fully deaf by the time he wrote so some of his most famous works and this um I, I mean this represents or, or embodies a kind of uh overcoming of obstacles that i i don't think we can call snobby you know this kind of determination he, he wasn't privileged is my point you know and he certainly wasn't rich either mm-hmm of course, you're getting that stereotype as well, too. And of course, um, you, you also have, um, you, you know, people in the classical music world don't necessarily play in the concert halls all the time. You can also play in some other venues. And I know some really good violins that even contain, you know, like you say, you play out, out of the home. You also play at parties and everything else. And uh, there are some that, you know, play in restaurants and bars and all that. And um, my daughter recently spotted some uh, violins, you know, you know, just playing in um in in a little coffee shop or something. So it's not just necessarily you know getting a job at a at a console. You can just about do it anywhere or even like as a freelancer too. So, mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. And it, most of the musicians I know are freelancers, and there's just a huge range in terms of how successful you can be as a freelancer. So there's really glamorous freelancing, and then there's also freelancing where you know, you you really have to hustle <laughs> to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. and, and, and of course, too, that you also feature, um, you know, some uh, instruments as well, too, and some of the personalities and maybe like, um, you know, associations, violins, cellos and all that. And, um, you know, the uh, personality type. So maybe just like the fact that, um, you know, just have like an association of the two, like um, break down the instruments, like, say, the violin associate what personality and everything that's all in the book, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important for people to realize that musicians are humans and classical musicians are, as we, as we discussed, they're, they're not snobs. So the way that my Juilliard classmates and I speak about this music is so different than the way that um, you imagine, or most people imagine audience members speaking about it. And it's just, um, I wanted to sort of shine some light on the quirkiness and the different, the range of personalities that I associate with each instrument and uh, or each section of the orchestra. Oh, you can you give us an example on that? Now you mentioned it. Oh, um, yeah. So for instance, uh, violinists, I'm a violinist, so I can say this part. <laughs> they are incredibly type A and sort of perfectionist, uh, overachievers. We sort of 
constantly trying to prove ourselves. We're always, um, yeah, wanting validation. And then you have singers who are probably, they're similar, but it's more, I think there's more confidence there. So they're like, you know, the divas and you have violists. There are so many viola jokes. Uh, and it's not, <laughs> it's not fair because violists are, are really, I think the best sports because they, you know, they go into it knowing how many viola jokes they are and they decide to play the viola anyway. So of course they're lovely people, but um, the stereotype is that they're all very, very stupid and incompetent and <laughs> nobody likes them, but that's not <laughs> the reality. It, it's, it's, at least they have a job or so. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, they, they obviously have a certain amount of skill and talent as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and of course you also break down too. It's like, you also got the drums and you just got the uh, cellos and then you also got the harps and then you can just tell about those personality types. Yeah. So the, we have um, the bassists are really, chill and laid back cellists are, are they come across the best in, in the book because just the cellists I know are such lovely people they're so warm they're so down to earth uh they're very relaxed and um accommodating and then you have pianists who tend to be very intellectual and you know it goes on but it's um yeah there are a lot of different a lot of different people that make up the industry and Mm -hmm. And certainly too, and of course, uh, for those who have never been to uh to to a concert um for for at a, at a classical music hall or anything like that, um, how do you conduct yourself? You'll we'll find out one minute. You listen to the Mike Widener Show at the MikeWidenerShow.com, powered by Sonicweb Studios. Visit online at SonicWebStudios.com for all your needs. Also brought to you by official sponsor, the Mike Widener Show, International Warring Author Mia Molson's The Missing, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. We'll be back with the author of Declassified, a low key to the high string world of classical music, Ariana Warsaw fan rock. After this time on. We're back with the author of Declassified, a low key guide to the high strung world of classical music. Ariana Warsaw fan rock here on the Mike Wagner show. She's a accomplished um accomplished violinist and uh, she's toured the world and everything and gave some insight to the world of classical music. And of course, you go to a concert hall and everything, and of course, you know, there's some etiquette involved and maybe just uh, cover some of the etiquette, especially you know, you know, the cover part is like, you know, when do you when to applaud and not to applaud? Maybe give us some tips on that. Yeah. So um I don't want to give away too much of the book, but That's okay. <laughs> no, there's a section on on etiquette, because I, I want to encourage people to listen to this music however they would like. So that that means if you don't want to go to a concert hall, you don't have to go to a concert hall to listen to classical music. You can listen. Yeah, we, we spoke about Spotify, Apple Music, there's YouTube, there are wonderful performances on YouTube for free. Um, so this is a perfectly valid way of listening. But if you do want to go to a concert at a major symphony hall or at an opera or a ballet, um, even a smaller series, then there are conventions that I think it's it's just helpful to know about so that when you go, you feel um, comfortable. And uh, so in the book, I compare it to like, you can watch the Super Bowl without knowing what a first down is. But if you do, you're not going to feel like you really belong there. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to be at ease. So I think it's just good to know what the conventions are and, uh, that way you can feel a little bit more at home. And, you know, if you do encounter any snobs, then you can hold your own against them. <laughs> <laughs> so I talk about, yeah, when to clap, um, when not to clap. It's it's a little hard to do without, because you have to explain then the nature of the 
the construction of the piece in order to explain when to clap. So I, I break down the, the compositional structure so that you can figure out when the applause is in comparison to that. And of course the applauding rules are different uh, for different types of pieces. So it's all, it's very detailed, but um, I think funny, hopefully the way that I've written it. And then also in general, my biggest point is that if you go to a concert and you do know when to clap, but someone around you doesn't know when to clap, don't be a dick about it because, because you know, it's, it's a perfectly human thing to hear something that excites you and to want to clap about it. And as a performer, I can say there's really nothing, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing offensive about someone clapping because they're moved by the music. So uh, there are moments, of course, when it's quiet, when people are still playing, when it's not uh, generally good, and it, but it probably wouldn't feel right to anyone to clap then anyway. Um, but if someone claps in another place and there's uh, an excuse for it, a justification for it, then I think it's important to be welcoming of those people and not to make them feel like pariahs because, yeah. Okay. We've all been in situations where we feel like we don't know how to behave. It, it, it's also learning tool as well, too, and to know when to do it and not to do it, especially first time and, um, you know, whatever else. I'm guilty of it myself, too. It's like you clap and you realize, oh, crap, what I do that? So <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I, I be, I've been there myself. So I am guilty just like everybody else. And uh, what 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 else do you want to get? What else you want readers to uh, get from the book? Um, well, mostly I just want people to, to develop a curiosity or if they already have curiosity, then I want to answer some of their questions to feed that curiosity, to give them a little bit of context uh, for this amazing music and to help them navigate it. Because again, when you're talking about hundreds of years of music, there are so many styles and pieces to choose from. It's just overwhelming. So I just, I want to give people a foothold and then just explore some of the more exciting topics that surround it. And also um, to, you know, I, I, I mention in it some of the amazing artists who are doing great things today, because I think it's important for people to know where to look to, you know, in terms of performers as well as composers to, to feel like they have guidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And certainly do as well, too. Where can you find the book at? Uh, I think the book should be basically everywhere. I went into a Barnes and Noble the other day and it was, there was one or a couple were there on the table and it's not certainly on Amazon. Um, there's an audiobook. I know it's on audible, but I think it's available on several platforms. I think it should be hopefully in, in most bookstores. Well, we'll see to it that Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and everybody will get those there. So we'll see to it. So <laughs> we're here with, um, Author Ariana Warsaw, fan rock of uh, Declassified, a low key to the high strung world of classical music here on the Mike Wagner Show. Just a few more minutes. We'd love to have you back as well, too. Maybe a little performance or two. And what can we expect from you in 2022 and 23, Ariana? Um, well, so for this month, I'm focused on the book. I have some events coming up. And then I don't know, maybe another, maybe another book. <laughs> mm, I think they'll tune to that. And who do you consider your biggest influence in your career? Oh, my gosh. Um, my dad, probably my, my dad and my mom, both my dad's a pianist. My mom's a writer. This book is, is both of them. Ah, that's a nice marriage. I like that. And what's yeah. the best of, what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Um, I, I would say, uh, just general advice. People should be adaptable and, um, think about where their skills meet up with what the world needs. 
Hmm. I like that. That's really interesting. Once again, we're with author Ariana Warsaw, fan rock of uh, Declassified here on the Mike Widener Show. Ariana, very big. Thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Learned a lot from you. Looking forward to having you soon. Keep in touch. Keep us up to date. Love having you back. And once again, uh, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your book? Um, so my website is any number of name. Uh, I have like four names and you can go to any of them from my website, but uh, com is the, is an easier one to spell, I think. So that's like Ariana with two N's, Warsaw, like the capital of Poland and fan, like an electric fan and all one word. And that then in terms of my, oh, I'm on social media, I'm on TikTok and Instagram and my handles at a underscore Warsaw fan for both of those. And we will all. certainly check that out. Once again, Ari, on a very big thank you for your time. We've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to it soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love to have you back. We wish you all best. Now, yeah, you definitely have a great future ahead of you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. <laughs>